Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We will cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Julie Gunderson, at Julie underscore Gund on Twitter. Thank you for joining us all today. I'm very excited to have Matt Stratton back on the show today. He is at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And Matt is currently a transformation specialist in the NAPS Transformation Office at Red Hat. And Maddie, for all of us, can you tell us what NAPS stands for? Absolutely. So it really stands for North American Public Sector. But I really like to think about being a trans someone who focuses on transforming naps, as in I help people sleep better in the middle of the day because naps are important. And if you're going to be a thought leader, why not be a thought leader about like blankets and stuffed animals and cuddling up and having a friendly nap? But really, it means I so my main focus is I help government agencies, especially state and local and education agencies in North America as they're trying to transform how they work and basically do all this DevOps stuff that we keep talking about and how do they kind of serve their their mission better with technology. Well, thanks. And that's what we're going to be talking about today too, is that transformation, that digital transformation. And for anybody who follows Matt on Twitter, he recently posted a great wrong answers only on digital transformation. But Maddie, can you start talking to us maybe about the right answers of what what is this digital transformation everybody talks about? Well, the, the reality is there is no right answer. And that's kind of the joke. So digital transformation is, is what you want it to be, right? And whatever will serve your purposes and your needs for changing your work. And because it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different places. So transformation overall is very important. And I'm not, I'm not making light of that. But this idea of transforming in a digital way, what does that really mean? Does that mean that we're, to some people, that means we're moving into a kind of a more cloud-native approach? Some people, that just means we're actually paying attention to tech and technology is moving from being a cost center to being part of the business. And some of it just means we needed another C-suite person so we could have a chief digital officer so we could put somebody else uh, as an executive. So that's why we had we had a digital transformation. Some people think it means working remotely and COVID drove us to digital transformation. To kind of paraphrase Andrew Clay Schaefer, you know, you get the digital transformation that you deserve and you get the digital transformation that you ask for. So the reality, though, is you don't have adoption of technology without transforming how you work. And that's the kind of transformation that I like to think about and why I like to think about transformation over modernization. So modernization is important. That's moving to newer technologies. But that's just part of that socio-technical system. It's also the people part and the tech part, and those things have to evolve together. So when you're working with these these government agencies, what's one of the things that you oftentimes hear when they're talking about things they struggle with with transformation? Well, the, the, the interesting thing is right now, we hear a couple different things. So, so one thing I want to point out is a lot of times, so in the private sector, what do we hear all the time? We hear we're not Netflix. So in the public sector, we hear, well, we're not we're not commercial. We don't have these problems. So if I'm a government agency, I'm health and human services or something like that. And I hear these stories about why I have to adopt this, this new way of working because otherwise Amazon is going to come and eat my lunch or Uber is going to disrupt me or Netflix is going to come and mess up my entire business model. 
And if I'm in charge of providing health and human services inside a local government, I'm like, well, no, that doesn't, that's not me. I'm not disrupted by startups or as Corey Quinn would say, Twitter for pets, right? But you know what you are disrupted by? This little thing called COVID. We actually just saw this. You need to have adaptive capacity, not just about threats to your business model or your outcomes or your mission that come from competitors, but come from the landscape changing for your constituents and your users. So then what that plays into, though, is the challenge that a lot of these agencies are having now is they're saying, well, we're so behind because we have to adapt because of COVID. We don't have time to talk about transformation now. And and the reality is, this is exactly why you need to work on it in parallel with this adapting that you need to do because you have this brittleness that caused you to not have adaptive capacity and you need to have it so that you can respond. It's a little bit of a virtuous cycle you need to kind of get into and you need to get out of that cycle. So these things go together. And the other thing that people have to remember is this is not a thing you do for your entire organization all at once. You know, I'm, I'm fond of saying, you know, if, if a large organization came to me and said, Maddie, I want to transform this giant healthcare company or I want to transform this large agency, like all at once, let's do it. I would say absolutely not, right? We need to do this in an iterative way. We build upon success. So we think of transformation as this giant thing that we can't take on right now because we're dealing with putting out fires and responding to, to things like COVID, but that's why we need it even more right now. So when you talk about that, and when you talk about adopting new ways of working, can you walk us through some of just the piece of advice that you give on on what are those ways of working? What are the the top maybe two or three things that you can do right off the bat? So a, a few things that you want to think about when you're talking about this transformation, and it's more than just, we think a lot about at the squad level, about you know agile software development and working in sprints, and those are all things we're kind of used to. But if we wanted to scale to a larger organization, we need to bring that conversation higher than just software development. That's one of those. And we talk about having five elements of transformation. And those five elements are leadership, product, development, architecture, and then operations. So development's part of it. But usually, a lot of times in IT, when we're thinking about transforming, we're really hyper-focused on just that one element of development. We're thinking about agile. We're thinking about how we do our software engineering. And each of these elements is really key across all of them together, where they build upon each other. And especially when you think about leadership, leadership is helping enable those other elements. And the thing that I want to bear in mind is those elements that I talked about, they sound like job titles but they're not, right? They're elements of your organization. And that's the level we have to start thinking about. And we have to bring those things in. So a couple of things to think about. I mean, like, where do you start? Like, I mean, start at the beginning. But a, a couple key things about when you're talking about transforming to think about across the different elements. Thinking from a leadership perspective is when you think about driving an organization to be more open, to drive more decisions down to what we would call the sharp end versus the blunt end towards the people that are doing the work. Leaders are enablers and they help set direction. They're not necessarily the ones who have to make all the decisions. And creating this, you know, balanced system of increased strategic optionality, right? And then when we think about product, we talk about this a lot. And, and in some, some organizations, this is, na- this is natural because you're a product-based company. But to think more product-based versus project-based, right? So products, you know, we think about having a culture around measurement so that we're continually having feedback loops. Projects end. Products don't. I mean, they do eventually when you retire them. 
but we're continually iterating. So moving towards a product-centric mentality is really, really key. And it's something, again, like when you think about it in a company like PagerDuty, right? that's how, how, how y'all work because you have a product. But then if you think about inside like a healthcare company or something like that, these are organizations that are not used to thinking about the things they deliver as products. They are functions that are treated like projects. And that's a big change. A lot of the stuff around the development uh, element, we're, we're pretty used to thinking about high quality execution by aligning common tactics and practices, whether we're thinking about things like agile methodologies or building software factories this is all just having a really common way of executing at high quality. And one of the ones when we think about architecture, this is this is really tricky. And architects need to be consultative partners versus kind of sitting in an ivory tower dictating. And again, if we think about the difference between the blunt end and the sharp end of work, architects are used to sitting at the blunt end, right? Where they're not really connected to where we would say you chop wood and carry water and are actually implementing things. So they're making these sweeping decisions without really seeing how that works. So when you think about embedding architecture into all of your delivery, and then finally, like, you know, the one, the, the element that's near and dear to my heart is operations. That's where I come from. And this is really thinking about operational excellence. You're trying to establish a foundation of resilience instead of just having merely reliable components. So operations really focusing on how you express and enhance the resiliency of the overall socio-technical system beyond what is just being robust, right? Which is, you know, high availability or something of that nature. You know, when we think about robustness, that's our ability to withstand and absorb, you know, a well-modeled disturbance, right? The known knowns. So when you think about that, but resiliency is, is having that adaptive capacity so that we can rebound and we can flex and we can gracefully extend to the things that we don't predict, that we don't expect to happen. So that's a larger scale thing. I mean, that's granted, I, I realize you kind of asked a question like, what's the thing I should go do tomorrow? And I kind of was more th- thinking about how to think, but you need to, the first thing is think about what that transformation actually means and think about it as a journey rather than a project is really important. Yeah. And I like that too, because focusing on it as a product, regardless of what it is, puts that focus on the end user and on that customer. And what does their interaction look like? I know that you were telling me a story recently about uh, what happened with Texas Workforce Commission and and the COVID explosion. Oh, absolutely. So this is, again, pointing out the necessity to be able to have resilience So this really points out the necessity to have this resilience and have adaptive capacity to things that can disrupt you. So when we think about COVID, so the Texas Workforce Commission, their number of weekly claims went from a run rate of 6,000 to over 313,000, right? So that's a massive, massive jump. If we think back to the Great Recession, they paid out $7.5 billion worth of claims over that entire recession. Due to COVID, they paid out $16 billion of claims just from March to June. This is massive. So, and that's not, and we'll put up, we'll put a link in the show notes to the, all the stats you can look at. And this is not just about Texas. This is, this is all of these health and human services are, are having to respond in this way. And these are systems that weren't built to manage this flow of information and this, this, this glut of users and this strain. You know, we never, never built for that. So we have to, well, again, we're not worried. We've never been worried about being disrupted by Netflix if you're an unemployment system, but 
these things can happen and it won't be COVID next time. It'll be something else. It's something you don't see coming. We can't predict it. That's why we need to have adaptive capacity so that we can flex and rebound. Well, and let's talk about that a little, because one of the things that, that has been coming up more and more is those hyper care scenarios, right? It's your, your Super Bowls or your Black Fridays, your Cyber Mondays, and how you just don't make any changes during that time and you focus on keeping your systems running, yet COVID hasn't ended uh, we're dealing with a lot of the same struggles here in Idaho with our unemployment system and people not getting paid. And so what they've done is they've just brought a whole bunch more people on to, to answer the phones, which isn't actually helping with the system. So this is in a way a hypercare scenario that also needs to be fixed, especially if this lasts longer. So what would your advice be there when you really need to make changes now? I mean, that's the thing is don't be afraid to make the changes that you have to make because that's where we want to go is we want to go into protect mode and say this is not the time to re-architect. This is not the time to change our methods because all we have to do is change this button or we have to scale up more. We have to do more, but it will pay off those dividends because you're right, Julie, this doesn't end, right? This is not the Super Bowl. This is not like we just have to get through three hours and we know when it's over. And the worst thing that happens is we lose a bunch of money. Right. I mean, that is a terrible thing, but it's nothing compared to what we're dealing with. So this is also happening very similar. A lot of these systems are built on on antiquated technology like COBOL. And the problem is we don't have people, so they need to make these changes to the business logic of these systems. But there aren't folks who know how to make that change because they don't know COBOL. And the answer isn't teach a bunch of developers COBOL. The answer is actually just Use those subject matter experts that you do have to deconstruct the business logic and move that into a new application. And you absolutely can do this and you can build bridges. And that's the other thing too, is your refactoring does not mean rip out the entire thing. We build bridges and we ha- it's okay to have disposable systems that just get us along, right? We're building a shim that will get us to that next place. You know, it's not enough just to throw your COBOL app in a container and throw that in OpenShift, right? It's like you want to be able to think about where you can start to move that logic. And when you think about architectural patterns like a strangler pattern, this is a great time to start to bring that in because it's a little at a time, but you can still do it relatively quickly. But our, our gut tells us not to because you're exactly right. It's, it's hyper care. It is no, no, no. Don't touch a thing. Just do the minimum you have to do. But actually, you have to do that work in order to enable that better rebound, that better resiliency. Well, absolutely. And especially, you know, as as we've talked about this, this is something, A, that whether or not people foresaw some sort of large pandemic uh, happening, I don't think that people thought through the impacts of that long term. Now, one of the things that you mentioned as part of your your NAPS title is working with schools and education institutions. And I know there's still a lot in flux as to what's going to go on with school returning, a lot of schools going to that online experience. Where would you say they should be thinking maybe five years down the line? Even trying to predict five years, at this point, I think we've seen that this this world has changed so much in the last six months that you couldn't even recognize it. You know, Julie, if we went back to the last time you and I saw each other, which was in February, the world was a very, very different world. We were just worried about why we thought things were crazy because we were worried about washing our hands, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like we had no idea, you know, and that was just in February. That was not that long ago. So everything that this is my problem with you know the whole idea of the new normal there is no new normal it's 
it's so much in flux. So what the first thing is try not to, you know, move away from trying to predict. But what should you be focusing on is instead of trying to focus on this pre-work, because that's what we're used to wanting to do is saying like, okay, let me predict. That's the fallacy. So instead, how do you enhance the resiliency in your organization so that no matter what it is, you can rebound because that's the thing. Even if you had a major plan for like the whole world wasn't planning for pandemic, right? And even if we did, we wouldn't have gotten it right because there's detail of that. So it's it's getting away from this, like having this perfect run book of this is what happens if this thing happens. And that's the sort of, we, we did the same thing after 9-11, right? Where we're like, okay, well, a bad thing happened. So we're going to focus on making sure that very specific bad thing doesn't happen again. But that very specific bad thing is unlikely to happen again anyway. It's going to have a different shape. So instead, we need to have resilience. So what you want to be thinking about all these organizations is how do you have plans and structure in place to enable, and, and this goes all the way back to when you even think about return to school and with educators, like I know in so many of these districts, how little the sharp end people, the teachers are involved in the actual decisions they're feeling very left out. And this is a beautiful example of blunt end, sharp end, right? Where you need to to, to enable the, the people who understand the strain on the system, understand the actual implementation are involved as much as possible where this can happen. So like bubbling that through, because that's what's going to let you when you don't know, when you have to respond to the thing you couldn't predict, you'll be able to get all hands on deck properly to the folks that are chopping wood and carrying water to know how they can do their best job because they're the ones who are the closest to the work. In a lot of what you're talking to us about, Maddie, it sounds like you really do need to have agility and be focusing on that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what in an ideal state that looks like, or even in a flux state? Right. Well, that's a lot of what I would call lowercase agile, right? You know, just having, like you said, agility, the ability to respond, the ability to rebound. I'm not a big fan of of militarized metaphor, but I'm going to use this one anyway. We we talked about this before, about like a lot of the common management uh, approach is this idea of command and control, right? Which is, and, and we want to have this because we want to feel like there's this big strategy vision that permeates through everything and, and our leaders know all of the pieces. And the, the irony of that is that there's no modern military that's used command and control in 100 years because it doesn't make any sense. Instead, it's this idea of maneuver warfare, right? And so you're, you're not going to have you know a, a, a four-star general that's going to say, Julie, take this rifle and run 100 yards and then turn left and then go five yards and then turn right and then sight this person and then throw this grenade and do this. They're going to say, no, Julie, go take that hill because you have the situational awareness with your boots on the ground to actually do that work. And that's sort of this idea of the open organization and getting back to the the sharp end and the chop wood carry water. You need to have trust in your squads who you give them something to do and they understand the mission. And that mission is not necessarily a military mission, just the mission, the, the goal, the thing we're trying to accomplish to service our customer, to service our user, to service our constituents and where that connects to. And they they will do this if they're empowered to do it. Like people want to do this work and they they know it better than we do. And this is, this is sort of the problem with a lot of these larger frameworks that we try to adopt 
around management where we want to be able to have this like giant portfolio of understanding of everything that's happening. And it's just like, it's too much for anybody to consume. You just need to think about outcomes. So really the more that you're driving the idea of outcomes through the entire organization and trusting your well-equipped squads to be able to deliver upon that contract to that outcome, that's what's going to give you that agility. Otherwise, all you're doing is trying to do command and control, but you're having stand-up meetings and you're putting sticky notes on a board, right? That's not that's not agility. That's not that's not dynamicism. That's just the same old Taylorism, but now you call it scrum, right? That's not helping. So think about that driving towards outcomes and having trust. You're, you're, you're hiring good people who want to do good work and they actually know better than you about how to accomplish that part of the mission. And I will tell you one interesting thing I've seen in the public sector. So I've talked about before, I, I've had to re- reframe some of my Maddie tropes with working in the public sector. So one of the things I'm fond of saying when I give talks is I'm talking to a bunch of developers or op or SREs or whatever, and I'll say, do you know how your company makes money? If not, go find out. I'll wait. Well, that doesn't work as well like when I'm talking to government agencies because that's not their thing. So I say, well, do you know what the mission is? And the thing that's interesting is in the public sector, employees tend to know that better than they do in the private sector. They do know what that health and human services or that workforce commission or the DOT or whatever it is that they're doing. They know their mission. Now, we have to help reframe that those decisions they're making about Kubernetes or schedulers or orchestrators or Ansible or whatever are connected to that mission. But you need to know the mission of your organization. What are you doing to make it to provide value. And if you know that and you know how to achieve those outcomes, and that's on leadership, that is 100% the goal and the job of leadership is to provide that direction, not those commands, not to do it this way, but the outcomes, that's true delegation. Delegation is about trust. That's what gets you agility. And if you don't have that, if you are directing instead of delegating, you do not have agility. And you will be brittle and you will not be able to be dynamic. That is amazing. I love the way that you said that. And I think that this will give a lot of people a lot to think about, especially moving forward through the next few months or the next year. As we're running out of time and you know that there are two reoccurring questions that we always ask our guests on the show, I'd like to start with asking you, what's the one thing you wish you would have known sooner when uh, it comes to running software in production. And because you have answered this question before, maybe I'll say before you joined your your new organization. I don't remember what I said last time, so we don't have to worry about me repeating it, I guess. I think one thing that I wish I had known sooner, and this is just going to sound silly, but I wish I was better at Bash. Like I, I've been afraid to go to Bash. I've been wanting to like solve problems in other ways, but like Having an understanding that minimum viable shell scripting is okay. It doesn't have to be hot and amazing, but just like chop wood, carry water, just get stuff done. Like that's key. Understanding that, right? Close enough for rock and roll. That's a thing to know about running software in production. (laughs) Thank you. And is there anything that you're glad I did not ask you about today? I'm glad you didn't ask me about the time that I was going to rebuild a a server for a certain insurance company in the Midwest and accidentally turned off a production server instead of the dev server I was supposed to rebuild and quickly scurried out of the data center and watched to see if anybody came running and they didn't. And I somehow 
continue to have a career as a thought leader. So it can happen to you kids. <laughs> and uh, with that, I just want to remind everybody that uh, you can join us this year at Patriot Duty's first ever virtual summit, which is September 21st through the 24th. It is free um, and you'll get to hear from industry leaders, practitioners and more. But before that, if you'd like to join another pretty awesome free event, DevOps Stage Chicago is virtual this year. It will be on September 1st. We have a very interactive and engaging participant experience that it's not the exact same as being at a conference we know, but we think it's a little more than a webinar with a Slack channel. So come join us. Come to devopsdays.org slash Chicago for all the details. We'd love to have you come. And it's free. Who can argue with free? Actually, Maddie, I'm really excited. I'm going. I'm going to help moderate a little bit. Uh, who are some of your speakers? Julia is going to be one of our moderators. So yeah, we have a whole bunch of really amazing speakers this year. Uh, our keynote speaker is Lonnie Phillips from Microsoft, uh, who I, I, I'm really excited. She's she's a local Chicagoan. So the way we think about this, by the way, is this is our Chicago event, but this year we get to invite our friends from all over the world who might not normally be able to join us. But we also, other good Chicagoans, we've got Jeff Smith, who's a, 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 a stalwart of the DevOps Day Chicago world. Quintessence Ox from PagerDuty will be one of our speakers. Jason Yee from Gremlin. Dr. Richard Cook from Adaptive Capacity Labs is going to be a speaker. I'm really excited about that. And a whole bunch more. So yeah, come to devopsdays.org slash Chicago. Check out our speakers. Check out our program. Sign up for the event. I hope to see you there. Absolutely. September. And then go to Pager Duty's summit thing. And I'll tell you what, both of the links, we'll pop them in the show notes. So uh, just click on those. It'll take you right to where you need to be. Click on the doodly do. And with that, this is Julie Gunderson here at Pager Duty, wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com. And you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. That's at pageittothelimit. Let us know what you think of this show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.